The reading, as you see on the screen, is 2 Timothy, chapter 3, and uh, 1196 in the uh, Pew Bibles, and 1812 for the larger print. Reading verses 1 to 17. But mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, have nothing to do with such people. They are the kind who worm their way into homes and gain control over gullible women who are loaded down with sins and are swayed by all kinds of evil desires, always learning but never able to come to a knowledge of the truth. Just as Janes and Jambres opposed Moses, so also these teachers oppose the truth. They are men of depraved minds, who, as far as the faith is concerned, are rejected. But they will not get very far, because, as in the case of those men, their folly will be clear to everyone. You, however, know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, faith, patience, love, endurance, persecutions, sufferings, what kinds of things happened to me in Antioch, Iconium and Lystra, the persecutions I endured. Yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evildoers and impostors will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, Continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you learned it, and how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Please do get your Bibles open and turn to to Timothy chapter 3 and I'm just going to pray before we dive into that passage together. Father God, we thank you for uh, the privilege of being here as your people this evening. Thank you for the privilege of being able to open your word together and have it speak into our lives. We pray that that would be the case this evening. Please help me as I speak to be clear and faithful. And Lord, by your spirit, impress upon our hearts what you'd have us here. Lord, I bring these things before you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I wonder if anyone out there is a fan of television series like I am. A good, oh, there's not, nothing quite like a good TV series, a good box set. And there's nothing like when you've been waiting for months and months and months for a brand new TV series to come up, a new season. You've watched season one, 
and season two is about to come out. Quite recently, I had an experience of this, a series of a television program that I watch quite regularly. And so I sat down to watch the brand new season. But as I sat down, I started to question things. Who's that person there? What are they talking about? What's, go- what's going on? I can't, I can't remember. It had been so long since the previous series that I totally forgot the plot lines, the characters. It was almost a bit of a waste of time for me just to dive in to season two without going back and looking at season one. Now, as we come to our series in 2 Timothy, you might be feeling a little bit like that this evening. It's been so long since we were in 2 Timothy. It'd be wrong of us just to dive straight in at chapter three as if, as if nothing had ever happened, as if we hadn't had a gap. We need a bit of a recap, don't we? We need to go back to where we've been to understand where we're going. So I'm going to do that. Normally in TV series, you have something either before the the episode starts, it goes previously on, and then it kind of carries on with that. So that's what we're going to do just to begin our, our time together this evening. We're going to go previously on 2 Timothy, right? Just briefly, a little bit of a recap as to where we've been in Timothy so far. Now, obviously, the writer of 2 Timothy is Paul. And helpfully, Neil kind of began to unpack this a little bit for us earlier in our service. He's writing this letter from prison. And now Paul is coming to the end of his life. And so he writes this letter as his final words as a dying man. His last kind of rallying cry as he leaves this world. And he's writing to his young protege, Timothy. Timothy, who has ministered with Paul for years and is now based in the church of Ephesus. That's where Timothy is and that's where Paul is writing to. Now, Paul's main concern is that Timothy would continue in the faith that he'd last in the gospel and in gospel work. Now, I don't know about you, but have you ever come into a situation feeling totally unprepared I remember such an occasion going through my A-levels. I'd gambled. I hadn't revised everything. And the questions that I didn't revise came up. So I sat there looking at the exam paper, absolutely clueless, unprepared. And Paul knows this. If you fulfill, if you fail to prepare, sorry, what's the phrase? By failing to prepare, you're preparing to fail. That's the phrase, isn't it? Paul knows that well. And so he speaks into the life of Timothy. He prepares him for what lies ahead. So what have we seen so far in chapters 1 and chapters 2 of 2 Timothy? Well, there we have some of the key points, some of the key preparation points that Paul has had for Timothy. Fan into flame the gift of God's gospel in chapter 1. Don't be ashamed of the gospel But join me, Paul, in suffering for the gospel. Guard the gospel and entrust the gospel to others. Endure hardships for the gospel. Remember Jesus Christ, who is the gospel in chapter 2. And at the end of chapter 2, where we left last time before the Reformation series, pursue righteousness, pursue godliness for the sake of the gospel. So as we come to chapter 3, that's where we've been. But Paul's message to Timothy this evening, Paul's charge to Timothy, and Paul's charge to us here this evening is twofold. Firstly, be aware. 
in verses 1 to 9, here's what I want you to know, Timothy. Be aware. Now, in verse 1, Paul starts with very stark words, doesn't he? But mark this. You see that in verse 1 of chapter 3. But mark this. Literally, know this, Timothy. Timothy, pay attention to what I'm about to tell you. This is something that you need to be aware of. Mark this. Mark what? Well, the verse carries on. There will be terrible times in the last days. Now, when we read that phrase, in the last days, we might be tempted, as Timothy may have been back then, to think that Paul was talking about some future period of time in history. Think of the last days, think far ahead into the future. But actually, the truth is, Paul isn't talking about the future. He's talking about the present. A few passages from elsewhere in the Bible, just to help us flesh this out a little bit as to what the last days mean. You see, in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 2, it says, In these last days, present tense, God has spoken to us by his Son. In 1 Peter, it says, Christ was made manifest in the last days, in the last times, for your sake. So rather than the last days being a future time in history, it's present When the Bible mentions this phrase, last days or last times, it begins with Christ coming into the world the first time. That was almost the first day of the last days, as it were, when Jesus was born in Bethlehem. And the last days will finish when Jesus comes again. So Timothy was present tense in the last days. And if Timothy was, so are we today. We are part of these last days, and therefore we are part of these terrible times. So what Paul then goes on to describe is not something for Timothy to write down for future generations. It's a description of the world around him. And we read it in verse 2 through to verse 4. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money. Boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Now the thing I want to draw your attention to is almost the first and last phrases. You notice it there in red? People will be lovers of dot, 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 and it ties up at the bottom rather than lovers of God. People will be lovers of dot, 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 rather than lovers of God. So here's what Paul wants Timothy to be aware of. Timothy, be aware of people with misdirected love. Be aware, Timothy, of people with misdirected love. Because instead... Of God being their first love, first and foremost. The people in Timothy's day and the people in our day have three different loves. You see it there in blue? Rather than lovers of God, they are lovers of themselves. Lovers of money. Lovers of pleasure. Now we love advertisements, don't we, in our culture? 
And again, back there in those days, if they have advertisements, they probably would have looked very similar today, a similar world that we live in as well. And we notice some of the big ones, some of the big brands that we see in today's world. We've got Nike. We know the phrase of that, just do it. We've got McDonald's, I'm loving it. We've got L'Oreal, because you're worth it. But again, see the focus. It kind of summarizes what we're talking about here. The focus on me, on mine, on experience, on pleasure, on self. The last days is (laughs) epitomized by a self-focus. A self-focus. If it feels good, if it looks good, if it is good, do it. Lovers of self, lovers of money, lovers of pleasure, a focus on self. And we read about the consequences, don't we? Because around the three loves, lovers of themselves, money and pleasure, we see a description, don't we? Fifteen descriptions that really focus in on broken relationships. Have a look again at those verses and we read them. Boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of good, treacherous, rash, conceited. A description of a breakdown in relationships. Rob helpfully before in one of our songs, he did need describe to us what the greatest commandment is. Can we remember from the beginning? Go on, shout it out. Love the Lord thy God with? Yes. Heart, mind, soul, strength. In some order. Right? And that's God's greatest commandment. That's the first commandment. That's the order that God wants things done. Love God first and foremost. Followed by love your neighbor as yourself. Then love yourself. But here we find a reversed order. First and foremost, it's love self. It's put God last. And no wonder in that order of things, relationships, our neighbor, as it were, finds himself in a hard position. And a description of the kind of relationships we see and experience in our world. Consequences. It's not a pretty picture, is it? But it's an accurate picture. It's an accurate, accurate picture of the world we live in. Because you know what? Paul doesn't focus on the superficial front that people put on. Paul focuses on the heart. A description of the heart without the gospel of Jesus Christ is what we find in the first few verses of chapter 3. And Paul says, be aware, Timothy. Be aware of people with misdirected love. Not just be aware of that though, Timothy, be aware of people with misdirected faith in verses 5 to 9. Because the list that began describing people generally, surprisingly, shockingly, disturbingly, frighteningly, ends up describing people in the church. You read that in verse 5. These people have a form of godliness. These people attended church. They sang the songs. They prayed the prayers. They gave in the offering box. They looked the part. They sounded the part. But something's missing. 
What's missing in their lives is the transforming power of the gospel. They don't obviously deny the gospel as it says there verbally. But by the way they live, they deny the gospel's power in their lives. Again, we see this kind of thing mentioned in Titus chapter 1 verse 16. They claim to know God, but by their actions they deny him. Non-obvious overt verbal denial, but in the way they live, they deny God's gospel and its transforming power in their lives. So it's no wonder Paul says, have nothing to do with such people. Now, if we were to apply that literally to anyone who ever showed any sign of these kind of characteristics, we wouldn't have anything to do with many people, including ourselves, right? We wouldn't, have, we wouldn't be doing much time spending with other people. So what is it talking about here? Have nothing to do with such people. Well, I guess it's based on the assumption that, as I've mentioned, the gospel does actually transform and change people. So when there's a consistent pattern in someone's life of sin that denies the transforming power of the gospel in their life, then would it be fair to say, that's not Christian. That's not the model of Christianity that Paul points out here. It doesn't mean we shouldn't talk to them, but it does mean that we shouldn't treat them. We shouldn't consider them a Christian if there's no evidence of the transforming power of the gospel in their lives. So Timothy, beware of people with misdirected faith because the, the passage goes on. It's dangerous. This superficial, misdirected faith is dangerous because what happens? Wrong beliefs lead to wrong behaviors. We see that in verses 7 and 8. They prey on people. The weak and the vulnerable. In verse 8, they oppose the truth. It's really dangerous. It matters. They're compared to these uh, Janus and Jambres. We see that. Great names. Janus and Jambres. They're compared to these two characters. We find these characters in Exodus. Um, chapters 7 and 8. They were said to be the magicians. The top magicians in Pharaoh's court. And just like these two characters, the people with misdirected faith that we see in our world and in our church, they seem to have power, but ultimately, they turn out to be frauds. In other words, sooner or later, the truth will come out. Ultimately, misdirected faith results in exposure and rejection. We see that in the verses. Exposure and rejection. So here's our first point. Timothy, be aware. Be aware of people with misdirected love. And be aware of people with misdirected faith. But it's one thing for Paul to say, be aware, Timothy. Be aware of the world you live in. Be aware of the church and the people within its walls. But it's another thing for Timothy to actually do something about this awareness. It's like me, right? I can be perfectly aware that the speed limit on motorways is 70 miles an hour. But I can so easily conform to the traffic around me. And be led by the sway of the traffic and go 
far more than 70 miles an hour. Lisa, you didn't hear that. Right? It's so easy to be aware of the situation, but not to be different. And that's Paul's second point. Not only, Timothy, be aware of the situation you're in, but, Timothy, be different. Be different to the world around you. And you see, Paul uses the phrase twice. You'll notice it in verse 10. Have a look. Can you see it? And also a very similar phrase in verse 14. In verse 10, he says, you, however... You notice that phrase, and in verse 14, but as for you, see he's making this contrast, that's what they're like over there, but for you, you should be different. Timothy is called to be different, to stand against the world and the church with misdirected love and misdirected faith. But how? How is Timothy to be different? And here is where Paul continues in this chapter. Three things we're going to focus on. Two briefly and one primarily. Firstly, be different, Timothy, by holding on to the right mentors. Let's read verses 10 and 11. You, however, know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, faith, patience, love, endurance, persecution, sufferings, what kind of things happened to me in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra. The persecutions I endured, yet the Lord rescued me from them all. Here's Paul. Here's what he says to Timothy. Instead of being attracted by the ways and people of the world, you know me, Paul. Timothy, do you want to know what Christianity looks like? Do you want to know what being different in this world looks like? Watch me. Follow me. And we've seen throughout the rest of Paul's epistles some of these attributes and characteristics fleshed out. Take teaching, for example. What's Paul's teaching? Well, we read in 1 Corinthians 2, I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Here's Paul's teaching. Jesus. Jesus and the cross. That's my way of teaching. What about my way of life? Here's Paul in 1 Thessalonians. Surely you remember, brothers and sisters, our toil and hardship. We work night and day in order not to be a burden to anyone while we preach the gospel of God to you. You see, here's Paul's ways of life, not being a burden to anyone. And what's it again? Preaching. A love for others and a love for God. What about purpose? Philippians 1 verse 21 For me to live as Christ and to die as gain. Here's Paul's purpose in life, Christ. And in death, Christ. Timothy knows this of Paul. He's seen this in Paul. And so Paul rightly says, follow me. Have me as your mentor. Not that Paul was special, but because he had Christ in him, transforming him. He had evidence, as we talked about before, of a gospel transformed life like the world around him didn't have what about some of the other things mentioned Paul talks about Antioch, Iconium, Lystra and the sufferings and persecutions that Timothy knows Paul went through there how he was dragged out of the city and almost stoned to death Paul says to Timothy you saw how my faith patience and love was evidence in situations such as this 
So here's a question to consider. Be different by holding on to the right mentors. Who is it that you look up to in life? Who are your heroes? A question to consider as we think about these verses. Are the people who show some of these characteristics? Is my hero someone who loves and lives for Jesus above everything and anything else? Who demonstrates love, patience, faithfulness, endurance? Within these church walls, who is it that I look up to? Who is it that I want in my life as a mentor? Young people in the room. Who is it that you look up to and long to admire and follow in their example? Older people in the room, not necessarily in terms of age, but in terms of Christian experience. Is your life worthy to be held up? It's a question to consider. Are you getting alongside those younger in the faith? Showing them what it looks like to live and love Jesus. So be aware, be different by holding on to the right mentor. Secondly, and very briefly on this one, Timothy, be different by holding on to the right perspectives. Let me read verses 12 and 13. Verse 12, in fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Here's Paul's perspective on this. As we live different to the world around us, for Jesus, we should expect suffering. It changes the perspective on suffering, doesn't it? Not something to be avoided, but something to be embraced as a sign of a gospel-centered life. And then in verse 13, while evildoers and imposters will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. Again, here's a right perspective to hold, says Paul. It doesn't mean that every generation will necessarily be worse than the previous one, but it does mean that in every generation, evil people will get worse and worse. Just think about the year we've had in news. The shootings in Las Vegas. News stories come out of Hollywood, of Harry, of um, Harvey Weinstein. London Bridge and the episodes that happened there early in the year. Our perspective as Christians should be one of never being surprised that evil exists in the world. Horrified, yes, but never surprised. Hold on to the right perspective, says Paul. You will suffer if you live for Jesus. And evil will happen around you. But finally, what does it look like for Timothy to be different? By holding on to the Bible. Verse 14 to 17. Verse 14, but as for you, continue in what you've learned and have become convinced of. Because you know those from whom you learnt it. And how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Again, I want you to notice a contrast in the language Paul uses. In verse 13, which we mentioned earlier, it talks about evil men going from bad to worse. You remember that in verse 13? You see that written down in front of you. In other versions, it talks about proceeding from bad to worse. 
Now that word proceed or go from literally means to advance or to go forward. That's the kind of language Paul is using there. But in contrast, in verse 14, Paul says to Timothy, but as for you, don't advance or go forward. Continue in what you've learned. And that word continue is the opposite of advance and going forward. It literally means to remain or to abide or to stay. So Timothy, don't advance or go forward. Remain. Abide. Stay. Different contrast to the world around you. Be different. But what? Remain, abide, stay in what? Paul. Well, in verse 15, he gives us the answer. The Holy Scriptures. That's what we should remain in. That's what we should continue in. Don't leave these things, says Paul to Timothy. Don't move on from them. Don't advance and go forward from them. Don't treat the scriptures as if they're material from primary school that you advance from into secondary school and A-levels and GCSE and, and university. You advance from what you learned in primary school. Don't treat scriptures like that. They are something to hold on to, to continue in, to abide in, to remain in. And why? Why is that position that Paul takes? Because they are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. There's lots of different ways, isn't there, to view the Bible. Lots of the ways that we are tempted to or the world around us is tempted to. A book of myths and tales and fables. A book of good moral teaching, codes of conduct. But here, Paul says to Timothy, Tim, listen to me. From when you were a tiny tot, from when you were an infant on the knee of your mother and grandmother, Lois and Eunice, you have understood that these holy scriptures are able to make you wise for salvation. That this book points to Jesus. Within these scriptures is Revealed to us the revelation of what Christ has done for you. The message of Jesus dying on a cross for sinners. The message of Jesus rising again, reigning and ruling in victory at the right hand side of the Father. The promise of the Holy Spirit given to those who trust. The future hope of heaven within this book is salvation. And how does the Bible have that power? The saving power. Well, in verse 16, Paul says, all scripture is God breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. All scripture is God breathed. This is one of the most important phrases in the whole of scripture. God breathe. You might have heard the phrase that God's word is inspired. Not in the sense as a beautiful piece of music is inspired by nature around us. But literally, the, the Bible is breathed out by God to make the scripture God's very own words. It's quite incredible, isn't it? To think that we have in our hands, translated into English, 
God's very word. The creator of the universe speaking directly to us through his revealed word. We can have understanding and knowledge of the mind of God in scripture. We can have access to truth that is ill, is unshakable and of ultimate value. And because the scripture is God's breathed word, it also makes it useful. You notice the word Paul uses there. And the profitable effect of scripture is that it makes the servant of God thoroughly equipped for every good work. You see, the aim of God's breathe that word is to make us godly, to make us doers of good in this world. And how does it do it? By teaching. And that teaching has three components. Rebuking, correcting, and training. Because you see, when we come under the sound of God's breathe that word, when it's taught to us, we are firstly rebuked. Our errors, our wrongdoing, our wayward ways are identified to us and we are halted. We are then corrected. We are moved from our wrong ways and turned around to a correct way of thinking. A way of God, a way of holiness, a way of goodness, a way of righteousness. And then we are trained. We are equipped and enabled to continue in the way that God would have us live. Rebuked, corrected, and trained in righteousness. So there we have it. Paul's charge to Timothy. Timothy, be aware. Be aware of the world you live in and its misdirected love and misdirected faith. But don't just be aware be different be different by holding on to the right mentors be different by holding on to the right perspective and above all be different by holding on to God's word in the Bible as we finish we'll just put a few questions up on the screen for you to consider and reflect upon as we then close by singing a few uh, songs but there they are Where is my, where is our love directed this evening? A question to consider both personally, but also corporately as God's people belonging to this church. Where is my, where is our faith directed? And a final question, will I, will we continue in God's word? Have a few moments to reflect on those questions and then we'll end by singing.